All right, listeners, before we get started with today's episode of Bench with Bubba, special promotion for you. If you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratification of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports on OwnerBox. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through the first-ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $100. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $100 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 64. We continue our 2021 early position previews, heading to the mound, starting pitching. We'll do uh, about the top 25 to 30 ADP, kind of like we did the outfield. Take a lot of listener questions, which you guys came through in a big way yet again, which we really appreciate, and uh, go from there. And we'll probably have uh, part two next week for you. But until then, you can find me on Twitter at BDentric and my co-host, as always, on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? Uh, we're doing pretty well, Bubba. Um, you know, just plugging along. Christmas was really nice last week. Um, a little bit different than usual, obviously. Um, you know, wasn't able to spend it with the extended family, but had our little family here, and, and that was nice. The kids are excited. They got they got the, the their their respective toys. A lot of playmobiles. I don't know about you, or well. Uh, I don't know about our, our viewers, but my I have like thumbs and injuries from trying to put together like Playmobiles in particular, um, where it's just like you're like, come on. And they have these little things that actually like help you get the get the pieces together, but they actually like hurt just as much as like putting the pieces together. So I have some cuts and and things like that. But it was great. It was wonderful. Good. So how about you? Yeah, good to hear. Um, yeah, I just have a little small couple people family and um watched uh, the little one for her first christmas just kind of take it all in event overload like i said telling you earlier between all the two grandparents wanted to always hold her or um you know all the different toys that make noises it was it was always something to keep her occupied while she was in between naps yeah uh, that was entertaining to say the least but uh it was fun it was definitely different like you said which kind of stunk at the same time it worked out everything was good but uh, hopefully this time next year, we're not talking about the same thing. Let's just go yeah. that direction. <laughs> uh, like, I really hope so. Let's hope so. Yes. Vaccine but, on the way. Yes, on the way. But uh, for now, we have the starting pitchers. And you guys, like I said, came through in a big way on questions yet again, which is awesome. So we'll spend the first hour or so going over the top 25 to 30. Uh, at, this ADP will be as of December 1st. And I made this list on Sunday, so it might have varied just a little bit by the time you listen. Uh, if there's a couple more drafts that have been completed. It's draft champions ADP as usual. 
from December 1st start date. So usually the three to four week, sometimes less we do. It depends on what's going on, but it'll give us the gist of it and we'll go from there. But uh, your top five, these are kind of, you know, these aren't going to change too much. They might change the order, but the top three for sure everyone talks about. You have Garrett Cole, Jacob DeGrom, Bieber, Bauer, Darvish. Uh, Cole's going around five, DeGrom around seven, Bieber around nine, uh, Bauer around 15, and Darvish around 18. So that'll give you a little heads up there. So you got the three in the first round, technically Bauer's first round as well. How do you look at these guys, uh, Toby? Like I said, the, the big three, Cole, DeGrom, Bieber's always a fun conversation. And then you got Bauer and Darvish just kind of hanging on right behind them. Yeah, I mean, I think the drafters so far have it right for me. Um, I think Cole is still number one. Obviously, he started out a little slow with the Yankees, had some tr- home run troubles, but he was dynamite down the down the stretch for them. And I just think the combination of kind of past performance, skills, context, um, and health, you know, he's 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 number one for me. Um, I think Degrom, like if, if I knew all of the guys were healthy and that they were going to give 200 innings, you know, I think Degrom would probably be number one. You look at some of the skills that he put up. Um, uh, Ryan uh, Bloomfield, uh, who started doing the Bloom boards again, which is, is fantastic. You know, but the the, the biggest, it's hard to believe, but like the biggest jump in swinging strike percentage on a forcing fastball, or really, I think, well, I don't know about any pitch, but like forcing fastball was DeGrom going from like 15% to like 21.5% swinging strike rate on his four seam fastball, which is just absolutely unheard of. Obviously a small sample size, but the skills are just insane. The velocity was higher than it's ever been before. I mean, DeGrom on a pitch-per-pitch basis, I think he's the best pitcher in the game. But I think there's a little bit more injury concern there for me than, than there is for Cole. And I think Cole with the Yankees, I think, you know, with the dominant offense, I think that they will be um, – he'll be in a, in a really nice position to do well. So I just think he's kind of the safest, and he's got everything you need. DeGrom, the best, but there's a little bit of risk there. And then I think Bieber is probably the least risky from an injury perspective, just, you know, given – how hard he throws and that he hasn't had an injury history in the past. Um, You know, part of the bump that he saw this year was good fortune, you know, really high strand rate, really low um, Babbitt kind of like batted ball quality stuff that we hadn't really seen before. Part of that was an increase in velocity. I think he was up about a mile per hour year over year, which is always huge for us to see in starting pitchers. And then he developed the cutter, which gave him three pitches that are just, you know, phenomenal. And so I don't think you can go wrong drafting any of those three pitchers. If I get one of those three, I feel pretty good about how I've started. Um, not well, I guess it's kind of ridiculous to say, right? Like if I get one of the first three, then I feel pretty good about how my pitching foundation is starting. Of course you did. You drafted an elite ace. Um, yeah. For me, Bauer's the guy that, that doesn't fit in here. You know, I know that people, you know, um, have a lot of different opinions of, of Bauer, you know, just from a skills perspective, I think he was incredibly lucky um, last year on a variety of different um, uh, respects. I mean, the BABIP was a career low, um, as my fan graph page loads, 215. He had a 91% strand rate. So we know that that's definitely going to change. And one thing that I pointed out um, on a couple podcasts is, you know, the skills don't really support the strikeout rate or the walk rate. The strikeout rate was super inflated. Uh, The walk rate was very low. And um, there's a lot of different maybe reasons for that. And 
I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I've, I've, I've talked to this about before. Brian Bloomfield, thank you for the shout out for my new hat. Shout out to everybody on Twitter who voted for this hat. I appreciate it. Um, uh, that for those of you listening to the podcast, that's in the, in the comments over here. And then, um, but for Bauer, I talked about this before and I, I think it's, I think it's legit. Some people may think that it's like getting too deep in the weeds, but when you look at how he did on full counts, he did his, his, his career record in, in full counts is a 0.87 strikeout to walk rate. So essentially for, you know, for every walk that he has, he has 0.87 strikeouts. This year in the short sample, it was over three, right? So over whatever, a thousand innings of Trevor Bauer's career in full counts, you know, he walked and struck guys out at a fairly even amount. This time he had three strikeouts for every walk. And that's just not sustainable. If you look at the league average, it's right around 0.8. And so if you actually take out, if you, if you actually even that out to what he was throughout his career, you end up getting a slightly elevated K rate, which is reflective of some of the increased skills that he had last year and a similar walk rate as well, because you assume that with the regression down in K's, then you're going to get more walks as well. And so when you, when you factor that in, you're looking at, I think like around a 20, 27, 28% strikeout rate instead of the, uh, you know, whatever the ridiculous number you had, the 36%. And then the walk rate is pretty similar. And I just think it's a really important thing to do, you know, is just to kind of look at whether the skills support over small samples, you know, a, a dramatic increase in, in, in the skills. And they really don't. And I feel a little bit bad, you know, maybe I'll sound ridiculous like this, but like, I feel really bad for the team that signs him if they sign him to a long-term deal not because i think he's going to be bad over the course of that deal but if they're if they're betting on you know not a repeat of last year but but a really exceptional pitcher i think he's good i don't think he's great uh darvish for me is the is the number four he really should be the padres i think it's a fairly lateral move i mean wrigley people know it as like a small field but it really isn't that homer friendly or or run friendly um, from a park factors perspective and, and the Padres, you know, um, it's not, it's not what Petco used to be in terms of like just a, a huge pitcher's field. So um, I think it's a pretty neutral move. Obviously the offensive situation is much better and Caratini coming over. I don't know if you've been following that on Twitter, but that has been like the highlight of, of potentially the year on Twitter, just the back and forth between, between uh, Darvish and Caratini. Did you see him, the DMs that he posted? Yeah. Oh my god, that was so funny! And then, did you see the the the, the tweet that he just had about like, walking side by side? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh god, my heart was like bursting. They're like uh, best friends. Oh, we'd love for those two. Yeah. It's so nice to see. You know, it's like um, it's beautiful to see things like that. But I just think, um, yeah, I think Darvish is really good. I mean, I was a little skeptical last year. I was out on him, and obviously, he performed in the short sample. Um, but I think when you dig into the numbers, I mean, the K minus walk rate is elite. The swinging strike rate is elite. The fastball velocity is there. I mean, I think it was like 96 he was averaging or something close to that. Like, he's just got it all. And, yes, health is obviously an issue. It is with so many pitchers. He's had a, a year and a half of clean health. He didn't really have any issues that I can remember last year. Um, and so I think, you know, I think he's there and I think it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens with him and Bauer, because I think he jumps over Bauer at this point with the trade. And, um, my last comment, cause I know I've been going on for a while here is, um, 
I think that when we get closer to March, at least in NFBC drafts, you're going to see the, the big three. You're going to see those three going in the top six picks, you know? And I think you're going to start seeing Darvish and maybe it's Bauer, depending on where he lands, um, moving up into the middle of the round, you know, and, and Giolito and Bueller and those guys kind of move into the back end of the round, which is going to be a, really interesting. I mean, it's really hard to build uh, really, uh, you know, I know one of our questions people was like, I know you're the pocket aces guy, but I don't know if I'm a pocket aces guy this year if I'm drafting in the front half. Uh, um, because, yeah, because I don't, I don't necessarily think those, that there's that much that distinguishes the guys that come after, say, Luis Castillo. Uh, and we'll talk about it in a little bit from some of the guys that are going later. So I'll, I'll, I'll end my, my rant on the top five there and turn it over to you. Yeah, I'm with you. The, the Cole, DeGrom, Bieber, that order, it makes sense to me. I, I like Cole. The, the age difference is a big factor for me. Uh, we've seen it two years in a row now. It kind of starts out a little sluggish. Second half is huge. I know there's been some guys that tweeted out the 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 splits that if you know what if we would have had another 60, 70 games or whatever, do we get that uh, massive cold second half like we got in nineteen? Very possible. Like it is a good chance. And then this isn't even a conversation in the grand scheme of things. And it's a lot of what ifs which we have with almost all the positions and all the players going into the season. So it's kind of tricky. But uh, I was Team Cole last year. I'll be Team Cole again this year. I love DeGrom. I, I understand the injury concerns people are having, the age concerns. I'm still, if he's sitting there, I'm going to take him, and I'm just going to stomach it, and whatever happens, happens, because he is an absolute beast. You look at his numbers time and time again. It's one of those that he hasn't had the serious injury at least anytime soon that scares me enough to, to go to go running away. Uh, Bieber's Bieber. I, I, I've voiced my opinion on Bieber. I respect who Bieber is. I think he's a very good pitcher. Um, he deserves to be going here. He still, and I, I would draft him, but he still concerns me. I, I he flirts with the the edges so much. It's like if he's off at all, things can still get ugly. I know the velocity's gone up, which has helped a ton because that was the kind of the big concern before. If he misses on the velocity, he's low. He's going to get hit around a lot. So that increased velocity, which we've we've people have talked about, like a, a mile per hour is all it takes, and that's a you know, gigantic difference. It's just if he, you know, what if there's a little bump and things change. Uh, the offense behind is going to be horrible this year in, in Cleveland. So you might get DeGrom 2.0 where you might have like a 2-5 ERA or better and get you three wins or something. Like it could be dreadful with, with Bieber in Cleveland. So that's just another thing to keep in mind there. And then I, I have Darvish 4 as well. Uh, speaking of Bauer, it is interesting. I know Dave Petrozello mentioned it in the chat here, and I was checking it out beforehand. There's a rumor going around that teams are, are – Bauer's looking for five to six years, about 35 to 36 mil a year right now, which – Kind of ironic when he preached all he ever wants for one year deals, so that's gonna be interesting. Um, his agents out there on Twitter doing uh, you know things that Bauer and company do, so the regime's out there you know making their noise, which is always kind of entertaining and kind of like okay, just do it now. It was fun early, now it's just like I've had enough, just do it. But um, yeah, Bauer's good. Like we just look at his logs, like he talked about. It's like it's all or nothing with him. He's had good years, he's had mediocre years. It's a roller coaster ride with Trevor Bauer. And Michael Ajeto said it uh, from Pitcher List. Yeah, he's great, but if they ever crack down on sticky fingers, how good is he? So that'll be interesting to check out with Bauer as well. It's just a tough, tough ask to to bid on someone or purchase someone at that draft price. And I love Darvish. You mentioned some things there. I I got done. It should be out on Wednesday morning, I think, at Rotoball. I wrote kind of the fantasy impact of him coming over to uh, San Diego. And it stood out to me, like you said, people understand the park factors. They assume Wrigley and Petco. Um, last year in 2020, Wrigley was the best pitcher's ballpark in all of baseball. The fewest runs allowed in all of baseball. 
and Petco is 10th best for pitchers. So it's not a huge gap, but it was a gap. Like Petco was almost more neutral, but Wrigley was like, if, if you do it like one's an average on the scale, it was like 0.77. So it was down there pretty good. And then in 2019, Petco was third best, Wrigley was sixth best. So it's always been a pretty – people just think of day games with the wind blowing out, like here we go. But there's so many other wind blowing in games, the night games. Like it's actually a pit, pretty pitcher-friendly ballpark, like you mentioned. I don't think a lot of people think of that. So that, that kind of stood out as a, okay, this is kind of neutral shift here. Um, except, you know, the biggest difference for me is Central Division we talked about, pretty cake to pitch in. Going to the West, outside of the Dodgers and Coors games, probably not that bad either in the grand scheme of things. So I think it's going to be fine. The Caratini part's huge. Um, in 2019, when Darvish made his switch, Caratini kind of became his regular guy from then on out. And he saw the cutter get used a lot more, the forcing fastball get used a lot less, slider get used more. So he did a whole pitch mix change, and it carries over. You look at all the graphs and everything, it's it kind of is just in line with the progression of how great he's been. So I got no problem with Darvish. People are going to point to he's 35 years old, or he's going to be turning 35 years old. He's had injury histories, but to me, he had two TJs in 2015 2016. He really hasn't had a major injury since then. He's been pretty darn good since then. So I'll just be like, okay, you know what? He's figured it out. Let's go. So I'm with you there. It's Cole, DeGrom, Bieber. I got Darvish four, Bauer five. I, I just don't see myself t- drafting Bauer anywhere. I, I really don't. I don't think I'm going to take that gamble. Darvish, I will. I have had the conversation with people, though. It's hard when you see Darvish at the end of round one. And, yes, he's an, like, an elite-type pitcher, but it's, do I go get a bat like a J-Ram or a shortstop or one of these guys and then go and get like a Lucas Giolito in the next round? Like Things like that, a younger arm that we see that keeps getting better. That's more the discussion than does Darvish deserve to be where he's at to me. It's do these guys, like you kind of mentioned, we'll talk about it here in just a second, like Walker Buehler's, the Giolitos, the Nolas, those guys that are coming up. Do you take maybe that younger arm that's been more established and really hasn't had any issues at all if you do believe in the injury concerns instead of you, Darvish? So that's the fun part, which will be interesting to discuss. Yeah. what a, what a It'll be an interesting playoff narrative too with like Darvish and the Padres. Mm-hmm. You know, after what the Dodgers did, you know, just oh, yeah. they're able to play each other like – That'll be that'll be a pretty cool narrative. I'm, I'm in case you're wondering, I'm rooting for you, Darvish, and the Padres. I should have worn my Padres hat. I wanted to wear my new hat. I mean, yeah, we're going to talk about a few today. Padres pitchers today. I think we're going to talk about like four of them today. They're oh, the yeah, that's how good hey. the rotation is. <laughs> it's crazy. They have that many top in, uh, at least fantasy wise pitchers. Um, and, and one other thing on that narrative, Dan Richards from from Pitcher List, he tweeted out a funny one because Snell got inter- got introduced on Tuesday via Zoom as a Padre. And he had some kind of – the way you perceive Snell probably jabs. Let's go throw it out there. He mentioned he's looking forward to pitching for the Padres. He's looking forward to a coaching staff that lets his pitchers pitch deep into games. He's looking forward to being able to pitch past the 16 and prove to people he can pitch. He said that a few times. And so Dan Richards said a funny one. Oh, you can see it now. Padres, Dodgers, Game 7, NLCF. They let they let Snell go into the 7th and he blows the game and Dodgers go to the World Series. It's just like oh, yeah. it's karma to like the T – of what's going to happen, so uh, we'll see. But it was it was it was Snell doing the snark that I we know Snell to be, which is I kind of respect at times too. Yeah, for sure. All right, six through ten on the list. You got Bueller at pick eighteen and a half, Giolito at twenty, Nola at twenty three, Scherzer who just keeps falling down to about twenty seven, twenty eight, and then Luis Castillo at twenty eight. Um, where do you go with uh, pick six through ten? 
Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting group. There's two that kind of stand out. Well, maybe two and a half that really stand out for me. Bueller is tough for me to take. You know, um, I think Bueller's great. He's really good. The situation is terrific as well. He's always been a slow starter, you know, and I just wonder we may get a not, you know, a 60-game season, but we may be looking at a shorter season than, you know, the the usual length if they push it out to – you know, a May start, something like that. But he's always been a slow starter. The skills aren't overwhelming. He's obviously very good, you know, limiting hard contact with the with the fastball. He's in a great situation with the Dodgers. So he's really, really good. I just worry a little bit about the volume and maybe the strikeouts that he's providing compared to at least some of the guys that are going in a similar ADP range um, to him, like Giolito. I love Giolito. Um, I have no problem taking Giolito in the back half of the – first round, you know, let's say those first four for me. I mean, I, I have Bauer way behind, you know, even the guys that we're talking about here. But if you have, um, you know, if you have, you know, if, if the first four go, I have no problem taking Giolito. I mean, if you look at the skills for Giolito, just absolutely off the charts, his in-zone contact, he's dominant in the zone. He's got two dominant pitches in the slot. Well, three dominant pitches in the slider, the changeup and the fastball. Um, you know, the walks are a little bit of a concern, but I mean, if a guy has strikeout stuff, I mean, he has strikeout stuff, elite swinging strike rates dominated in the zone. As I mentioned before, he's been able to uh, increase that O swing a little bit, you know, get those chases outside the zone. I think that's the one thing that he's kind of missing right now, um, from being maybe even the top starter in the game is, is, is a little bit of that, uh, control. You know, not walking as many guys, having 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 some blow ups, but after the slow start he had, he was absolutely cruising um, before. And the context is good. I mean, the AL Central, some some improvement with the Royals, obviously with the Tigers. You know, can't be as bad as last year. Um, but they but the Cleveland is going to get worse, and even the Twins. I mean, they've lost two um, important pieces there. So I um. Yeah, and Eddie Rosario and Nelson Cruz. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he ends up going somewhere else um, next year. So, you know, I, I just think that he's he's really really good, um, really really good, and all he needs is a full season to show that. And you're talking about a guy who I wouldn't, you know, if he strikes out or on is on pace to strike out 300, you know, he would be a guy I could see doing achieving something like that. Um, next guy that I really like, Aaron Nola. I don't have any shares yet of him. Um, uh, I haven't been able to draft him yet in my, in my, uh, I got an elite in my last draft champions. I, I, I had a, um, Bieber Giolito start, which was kind of like a dream come true for me. Um, but I really want to have some Nola as well. Obviously the pitch mix change, you know, he throws his fastball. I think it's like the third most frequent pitch that he throws after his, um, change up in his curveball, which are both really good pitches, high ground ball rate. He's been consistently good outside of that first half of last year. You know, he's been very good. Um, Phillies are a pretty good context for him to be in. You know, they've, they've added some more analytical guys to the staff. So who knows, they may be able to take him even to the next level. So maybe a little bit lower on the, on, on the K rates, but the walk rates have always been pretty good for him. Um, and so I think, I think I, I really like Nola a lot as well. Um, if I were to, um, you know, looking at these guys, I'd probably go, you know, uh, for the six through 10, I'd go Giolito, Nola, 
Bueller, and then probably um, Castillo would be after that for me. You know, I was concerned about the control for Castillo, but you know, he's, he's been consistently good so far. Um, he's been really good. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the Reds? Who knows if he's going to be traded or not, but the swinging strike rate is great. I always worry a little bit about the changeup. He's so reliant on that changeup. He's so reliant on pit on swings and misses outside the zone. And I, and you can kind of belabor that point like I have in the past, but in the grand scheme of things, right? Like Patrick Corbin was really good with, with the slider being really good. And I want to say Castillo also was more dominant this year with his forcing fastball, um, which I really like to see that. I think the swinging strike rate on that pitch jumped up. Um, I want to say about uh, 2%. Um, I think it was around 11%. This is another test of my memory, which, uh, you know, my memory is, my memory is uh, mediocre. Um, but uh, let's see. Let's see what we got. Am I right? Oh, no, a bigger jump than that. So his, his four seam had a 15.8% swinging strike rate on it, which is ridiculous. Now, obviously, I think there's some uh, fallback on that. But when you have the dominant change up at 23% swinging strike rate, you have two pitches above 15% in the four seam and the slider. Um, I just really like it. And I do think there's upside if he goes to that four seam more um, and the velocity's there. So everything for Castillo looks pretty good. Scherzer's the one that I'm kind of, withholding judgment on. I really want to see what he's doing in spring training. You know, the skills were still there. I mean, there was definitely some give in the skills, but they were still really, really good. I think the biggest concern for me was the drop in, in chase rate. I think it was clear when you were watched him that he wasn't able to finish guys off outside the zone like he's been able to in the past. And that was a, that was a little bit of a concern for me. Um, but if he comes back, if he looks good in spring, if the velo's there, if everything else is there, then I'll probably be willing to take him kind of where he's going right now, um, just because he did have some what looks like batted ball luck, some bad batted ball luck, um, you know, that that brought him down a little bit. But he's still got, you know, great pitch mix, great repertoire. The velo was about where it's been in the past. So no reason to believe that he can't be a really good pitcher again. One year older, but again, a full off season um, to get uh, to get in pitching shape. So that's kind of how, what, how I would stack up the, those guys six through ten. Yeah, no, I, I like we're pretty much on the same page there as well. Bueller, I'm still very, very torn on. I love uh, I going into last season. I predicted him to be the Cy Young winner. Didn't predict the blister. That's for sure. Um, and that that's the biggest thing is for me. He missed time due to a blister more than anything. So you'd imagine. The arm's fine. You imagine he's fine. They even said last year going into this season he was doing pitching ramped up on the side. You imagine they're going to do that this year. Before um, before last season, he was, he was at 182 pitches. Uh, he's one of those guys, like we talked about it before, and Oda Rizzi talked to Eno Saris and the guys over at, um, over at Rates and Barrels. They talked about how a lot of these veterans, they can take time off and then ramp back up. It's not like the younger guys. Bueller, sure, he's still younger, but to me – He's proven he can go to a certain level. That means to me, at least he can go like 170 plus. Like he can get back up there, uh, assuming things work out right. The Dodgers are different, but the one caveat I will say with the Dodgers right now, when you look at uh, their projected starting rotation right now, you have David Price, who's still up in the air. Is he coming back? You have Dustin May, who hasn't really proved he can be a starting pitcher that's consistently good. He's better out of the bullpen because he doesn't strike anybody out. You have Julio Urias, who's not that good. He, he doesn't strike anybody out. Like it's it's mind boggling watching 
Dustin May. Uh, you got Julio Urias, who was phenomenal longer stints out of the bullpen or after openers. He's probably a much better starter than Dustin May. But my point is, and he got Tony Gonsolin as well. So there's six pitchers there. Price is a question. May, Gonsolin, Urias, we'll see. But Bueller and Kershaw are the staples of that rotation. So as long as his arm's healthy and he's not getting blisters, he's pitching. That's the way I see it with Bueller. So I'm not as concerned as others are. I, I understand the concern, but I'm not there with, with Bueller. I think they know what they have in him and they need him because Kershaw's also in a full season. We've talked about it before. It's, you're not getting what we love to see last year. Kershaw's going to take steps back and miss some starts or innings or whatever. They need Bueller to be that guy. That, that If you look at the whole rotation there, there's where I plant my flag with Bueller when I think, okay, yes, I, I'd rather have Bueller than Bauer. That's for sure. I'll go that far. So that I'll go there. But then I agree with what you said, though. I'd rather have Giolito over, over Bueller. Huge Giolito fan. The gains he made last season, the strikeout rates, the, the, the better contacts. You mentioned the zone rates. Everything about him has gotten better and better and better. I think if you're looking at this conversation next offseason, I would not be shocked at all if Giolito's in the big three conversation or something along those. Like he, like you said it, he has the makeup and the development curve, I guess you could say, to take that step to the to the next level of this guy's an A, like a legit fantasy ace type player. So I, I like G Leo a ton. That's where I kind of prefer, and I think you feel similarly, like you want the front end so you can go get your coal or whatever. But if if I can't get one of the top picks, I got no problem in the back end of the first round, get a big bat or get a G Lito or something like that and wrap it around. So I, I really I found myself getting G Lito a few times when I'm drafting in the back end. So I like that quite a bit. Nolan's a guy I, I have nothing bad to say about him. I just I always feel uneasy with Nolan. Then I look at his fangrass page, his savant page, and he's consistently just putting up this awesome stat line by the end of the season. Like he's not jumping off the page, he's not flashy, you're not like turning tuning into MLB tonight, and Nola had, you know, a one-hit shutout or, like, what other all these guys. He's not Garrett Cole striking out 14 and 7 innings. You don't see that with Nola consistently. But you look at his overall stat line, it's great. He's perfect for fantasy. It's what you want in an ace. So I got no problems with him. Scherzer, I am i can't do it. He just reminds me too much of Verlander and company. I, I just can't do it. Like you mentioned, the velocity is going to be there. He's going to be great. I won't go that direction. And then Castillo, I absolutely love. Um, while you were talking – I was looking more at the pitch leaderboard and uh, Savant and everything. And he's even starting to incorporate his slider even more. And his slider is just legit nasty. It's actually got the best uh, like swinging strike rates and put out rates and all that. Well, not the swinging strike, but like put away rates and uh, all those things that you look at that are kind of secondary stuff initially, but kind of justify how effective that pitch is. And it's just a matter of trusting him more and using him more because he still uses that change up a ton, like you mentioned, uses his four seam a sinker that's kind of nasty. If you can keep elevating that slider up there, at least above the sinker, mix that in there as a good number three pitch, he can can take another step. And uh, I like Castillo quite a bit. He's a guy I'm looking at at the back end of round twos. If I didn't get a pitcher early or if I'm trying to potentially get a pocket aces, I guess, he could be a a good number two there. It does kind of get a little murky after this, like you talked about, which we'll we'll get to in a second here. But I like Castillo a lot. Like for me, I'd have Gilito top in this group for me. And then like Castillo and Bueller is an interesting two three for me. I'm a big Castillo guy. I'm not Michael Simeone Castillo guy. He like has him like top four or something. But I have them. I think I ranked them sixth or seventh for me. I, I like Castillo a lot. And then I go Nolan Scherzer to wrap up this range. But doesn't it, Michael have Glass now really high up there too? Like top two? 
I think, right? Just kidding. Yeah. Joe, oh, glass he hates now. Glass now. Yeah, I can't wait. I hate glass now too. I, I literally just wrote I wrote him up today for a, a piece coming out of draft of voids. So yeah, we will talk about him in a little bit. But um yeah, that's how I look at pick six through ten. Um let's get into eleven through fifteen now. And you got Jack Flaherty coming at pick thirty one. You have Clayton Kershaw at just right behind him, like thirty one and a half. You have Brandon Woodruff at thirty four, thirty five, you have Zach Gallon at thirty nine. And then on this sheet, we're going to, so it has changed a little bit. We have Tyler Glass now coming up and pick 46. So um, 11 through 15, it gets pretty murky compared to the top 8 to 10 or so. So where do you stand here? Yeah, it's an interesting group. I mean, questions for a variety of different reasons. Obviously with Flaherty, I mean, I think with Flaherty, I was a little bit off him last year. I, I got I lucked out there. You know, the BABIP was so low um, the season before, and um, – yeah, the 242 Babbitt, the 83.3% strand rate. You know, so those luck, luck metrics were a little bit off the charts for him. So I think some regression was uh, was coming. Um, but I also think you kind of chalk up 2020 to just what a, what a bizarre season for him. I mean, he, you know, they all get COVID and for some reason he comes back and he throws, you know, he throws a shorter start, but they just – there just didn't seem to be a plan there, or at least a plan that was that was uh, executed effectively. So I think you kind of throw it to the side. I mean, even when you look at some of the underlying metrics, right, he actually had a higher swing strike rate um, this past year than previous years. Um, it was the highest he'd had. His whip was still good despite, like, those major blowups, despite having a high uh, walk rate as well. You know, I think that is one a little bit of a concern for, for Flaherty is the walk rate. Um, outside of 2019, it's been over 9.4% um, in each of his other seasons, 8.5% for his full career, which is higher than league average for, um, you know, for a starter. So there's some concerns there, but he plays uh, in front of a really good defense uh, in a really good ballpark, and the NL Central is going to be god-awful. Not that he's only going to be pitching against the NL Central, but, I mean, I don't know if you was uh, – I forget who put the tweet out, but, like, the combined war – of the different divisions and the NL central is just way, 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 way uh, behind. And nobody's really making any moves. To, making uh, themselves worse right now. Yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> I mean, crazy. they're really just giving in, um, in a very winnable division. So Flaherty's, but he's still interesting to me. I mean, I think if he falls a little bit, I think if he falls into the third round, I think he's a really interesting go because I think, I think he's a really good pitcher. Um, I think he's really good. Um, and despite like what happened to him last, uh, last season. Um, with Kershaw, Kershaw's interesting to me. I mean, Kershaw, I think you need to have a plan when you, if you take Kershaw, you need to figure out how are you going to make up with the strikeouts because the ratios are gold. But when you look at Kershaw, I mean, last year he struck out, I think like 62 in 58 innings, you know, which from your number one starter, if that, if he's your number one starter in fantasy, like just isn't, it's not going to cut it. Right. So maybe if you pair him with a Lance Lynn later on or something like that, you think about how that rotation fits together. Um, I think that's how you have to think about Kershaw, but I'd be very hesitant to have him as my SP1 just for that reason. Would you um, be good with him being your SP2 like as a pocket aces theory? I think so, and I, but I'd still want to think about, you know, because part of, the, part, of the, part of the pocket aces thing is, right, like, I mean, let's say just like um, – you get like a Darvish or Giolito or a Darvish, something like that. You know, that you're talking about, you know, 400 plus strikeouts, right? Yeah. Um, and so, 
And so it, it really it gives you some, you. some leeway there um, with your later picks. So I think if you think about Kershaw and you're like, okay, I'm going to take him either as my number one or my number two. And then, yeah, you look at like a guy like a Lynn or, you know, maybe it's like um, just putting in, just thinking thoughtfully about like, I know that I need, I, I feel pretty good about the ratios. I need to make sure that the Ks are going to be there. And again, with the Dodgers, you know, I think you highlighted this a little bit, but I'm also a little bit wondering like, how are they going to handle the Now that they have, have the ring, how do they handle this? Does that change kind of the way that they handle pitchers or Kershaw's desire, like not his desire to go out every fifth, fifth day because everybody, you know, desires to do that, but like the conviction to really do that because with him, I mean, I think that could be a really big issue. Um, one thing to note too about Kershaw is he had a velo bump early on in the season, but it fell off. It fell off towards the end of the season. And if you look at like his last, I think it's like five or six starts, strikeout rate was barely above league average. Walkout, walk rate was low. So the K-minus rate, walk rate was still really, really good. But if he doesn't have that velo that he had early on in the season, it could be a little bit of a mirage that, um, you know, that, that strikeout percentage right now, um, even though it wasn't that good to begin with. So I have some concerns there. Um, the guy that I like the most out of this group uh, by a pretty wide margin is um, is Woodruff. And, you know, I was I was not into Woodruff. I, he was like a total bust for me last year. I felt like the peripherals weren't there. But when you get down to it, I mean, he's putting up the K rate consistently. Um, he's very good. He's got the fastball. Um, he's got the other pitches that are good enough. And he doesn't walk guys. He just does not throw balls. He does not throw balls. And I love that. A guy who can strike guys out. You have no concerns whatsoever about walks. And, you know, I just think that um, I think he's really good. And I think that I think you're starting to see that in drafts. I mean, he's pushing up and he's going to be a, he's going to be mid second rounder by the time um, everything it's all said and done, I think. But I really like him. I really like Woodruff a lot um, out of this group. He's my he's the guy that I like the most. Uh, Gallon, I think Gallon is solid. Um, I mean, like, I feel like if, when I think about the definition of solid, it's just like, I feel comfortable with him, you know, like three, five, three, three, five ERA, whatever it's going to be like a lower whip, you know, like one, one to one, two, you know, um, 10 Ks per nine. Like it all just feels like it's there, but I don't necessarily know if there's as much upside. Um, partially because I don't, um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't necessarily see the upside. Maybe it's like the fastball um, just isn't there, just isn't good enough. Um, and it's also, I think, the context. I think the D-backs aren't going to be very good. They're clearly selling. Um, and so I'm a little bit nervous about what that looks like from his perspective. And then finally with Glass now, I'm not really interested in Glass now. Um, you know, I think the volume is a major question. The two-pitch approach is a major question. Um and he hasn't answered those questions for me. And until I see that happen on a consistent basis, I just really can't, I, I really can't go there. Even though like on a per start basis, I mean, he's got, we all know how electric this stuff is, but it's kind of like last year. I mean, what did he, what is, what did his ERA end up as? I mean, obviously um, it's a shortened season, but. Um, yeah, I was just looking at it a second. I got it right here. Um, 408. Yeah. But yeah XFIP 275. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So yeah. it's just yeah, it worries me the high walk the high walk rate. Obviously, again, the strikeout stuff, the K's per nine, they're all beautiful. I mean, even the whip um, is really good too. So maybe I'm just 
Maybe yeah, I'm you're, just not you're, there you're on the right path. Should be, but um, you're fine. But I just I can't I can't buy in there, especially you know um, where he's going. He just keeps on moving up and up, and I just can't I can't get there. Seems like a seems like a really nice dude, but I just can't, a great dude. I can't I can't get in support. Did you see him dunking? Those are the off-season workout videos that I live for, you know, not the, not here's Miggy jumping rope, you know, it's like glass now slamming it down. Like that's, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Glass now slamming it down, Bartolo Colon dancing some salsa. That's the kind of stuff I'm here for. Absolutely. Give, give me all of that. Um, yeah. Jack Flaherty. This is a guy that I was with you. I was not on, on last year. I said he was getting drafted too high. I'm not going to take a victory lap on that because I can't claim COVID was going to happen and destroy his whole team. Like that wasn't that wasn't my thought process. But the walk rate is very concerning, as you mentioned. Um, he just I don't know. He's going to have some runs like they're very very good. This is why it gets to the part where you get to like a steal, and then do you really trust these guys, or would you rather you know the next ten guys where you have you know Maeda's and Lins and Sunny Grays and Carrascos. You could wait around and maybe get one of those guys instead. That's probably where I'm going to go. I'm going to take a bat instead of a Jack Flaherty, which a lot of people disagree with, but that's kind of where I'm at at that progression of things. So, uh, yeah, I'm not in on Flaherty this year. Kershaw, I've always liked. He was going later than this last year, for crying out loud. Like, he has a big shortened season, and now everyone's in on Kershaw again. Um, We knew when we talked about Kershaw before that pandemic hit in our first starting pitching preview, we were all like, okay, 150 awesome innings. That's probably what you're going to get this year, too. 150 to 160 awesome innings, which is great. And I'm all for it. But like you said, you better have a plan. It's kind of like I, there's a big Adalberto Montes. He talked today. We talked about him uh, on our pod. You have these guys, or let's say other injury-type players, you have to have a plan in place. What's the replacement when they're out? Kershaw's going to miss some time here or there, even if it's a fake IL stint by the Dodgers. Do you have something that's going to fill in for this? Do you have other situations, just not enough fill in, like you said? Like, do you have a guy that's going to get you extra strikeouts or get the counting stats to fill for Kershaw? So I, that's a great point you make because I'm not going to be the guy that says don't draft Kershaw because I do think in a year where we're coming off 2020 and not all pitchers are stretched out the way we want them to be, like I do believe some of the big dogs are going to just they're going to throw like normal. There are going to be a lot of arms that they're going to take not just the Dodgers, but in general, teams are going to take precautions with. There's no hiding that. It's going to happen. So Kershaw seems like a great candidate at his age with his back problems. Just got the, the ring, like you said, so he pitched even more innings in the playoffs. Might be a good idea to kind of let him save it up because at the same time, they could easily make another run next year and they want him in the World Series. If you waste all the bullets during the regular season, it's going to really stink to lose again in October. So it's, it's, it's one of those deals that you wouldn't be shocked at any time if Kershaw misses, by the end of the season, a total of like a month of action. And that's very realistic. So not saying don't draft him because he is very good, but keep that in mind. I love Woodruff. Uh, you mentioned it. I was on actually Mike's Michael Simeon's podcast a month ago or whatever, and we were talking about different ADP pitchers. This range came up. We both like Woodruff in this range. And we, we joked that if Corbin Burns didn't have the year he had, people would still be raving about my, uh, Brandon Woodruff. Like, they've almost forgot how good he was. It's good to see NFBC drafters have not forgot how good he was because he's still a top 15 pitcher. But he's as consistent as they come. Pretty much six or more innings every start. There's like two run runs or less in like 80 to, 80, 80 to 85% of his starts. Six plus Ks in most starts. Like, the dude is a fantasy goldmine. You literally just plug him in, 
walk away. He's, that's the beauty of a pitcher. If you don't have to worry about the matchups, just pitch him and go. Woodruff was that guy. So I love Woodruff. I'm 100% back in everything you had to say. I, I love everything about him. Go get him. Zach Gallon was great last year. Struggled like the last three and a half starts or so. Um, I liked him when he was a lot cheaper last year. I'll be honest. Because he still walks a lot of guys. The strikeout stuff can vary from time to time. He, he, he did show some flaws. And you mentioned the Diamondbacks are going to be an issue. So uh, if he falls a little more, if like he falls into the, like round four or five ish, which I don't think it'll happen, but if he does, much more appealing to me was Zach Gallon. Uh, and then Tyler Glass now I'll have zero Tyler Glass now. I, I pulled up some stuff here uh, as well. Four seam curveball change up; those are his pitches. Um, it's mainly curveball, four seam. That's pretty much what he's, he's going with here. And it's um, a whole lot of uh oh. Because if it's not effective in the zone, it's getting hit very hard. The four-seam fastball had almost 48% hard hit rate last year, uh, which was dreadful. Uh, it's just it, – it's really, really brutal when it comes down to what he does. And the biggest problem with him is he doesn't get through the counts quickly. Strikeouts are great. He's got a great strikeout rate. But um, he's not striking guys out fast enough because he's walking too many guys or working too deep in counts. The Rays are babying him. You look at his, his uh, stats, I think he went over five innings, like four of his 12 starts. And he only went over like 75 pitches three times. They were yanking him early. And he people are saying because Snell's gone, he's the ace, he's going to go longer, maybe. What's longer, another inning? Is that really going to do it for you? Because So now he's going five to six innings in every start. Is that your ace? No, it's not. So that's the problem. He's got great stuff. He needs to execute a third pitch better. He needs to be more efficient while he pitches. Those are two things that are going to be very, very important with class now. Until he does that, I will not be drafting him anywhere. So that's my take on Tyler Glass now. 16 through 20. Kent Maeda has actually jumped Glass now. Glass now is 46.27. Maeda is 46.13. But we have him at 16. Um, pick seven or pitcher 17, Blake Snell at pick 52. You have Corbin Burns at 54. Zach Plesak at 58. And Max Freed at 59. So this is a group that you might pass over most of them as well. But uh, what do you like here? Yeah, I mean, this generally is a Passover group for me. Um, not that I don't necessarily like them, but just with my general approach to pitching. Uh, so with uh, Maeda, I think Maeda is really good. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The pitch mix change. He's got multiple elite offerings. You love to see that. I just have questions about the volume that we're going to get. Um, he was also incredibly lucky with both the, the BABIP and, and the um, strand rates. Um, being uh, way out of whack, I think, from where they probably should have been, um, and so I worry a little bit about um, I really worry a little bit about that regression, and then I just worry about the volume, especially where you're you're drafting him in drafts, right? Um, to be your, you know, for some people it's it's their SP one, but you know SP two range, and and I just don't know if if I if I trust it enough. Um, uh, but you know, I, again. And, yeah, I like him. He's really good. He's a really good pitcher. I just think from what I expect to get from him this year, I wouldn't want to draft him where he's going um, right now. Um, for Snell, again, he's, he's, I know a lot of people, I, I think his ADP is going to rise now that he's with the Padres because people are going to expect him to go a little bit deeper in games. Um, and that could be the case. You know, the thing with Snell is when he went, when he had his most dominant season, there was obviously some luck involved, but he also had his, his, uh, highest fastball velocity. Uh, I want to say he was at like 96.5 uh, miles per hour back in 2018. 
And progressively, that fastball below has declined. And as a result, the outcomes on that fastball have declined as well. And I think it helps, you know, maybe the other pitches are dominant. Like he's got an incredible arsenal, but maybe it, it allows guys to hang in a little bit longer um, uh, with him. And I think efficiency is a huge issue. It's not really that the Rays pulled him so early. It's that, you know, he's not efficient with his pitches. He goes deep into, deep into counts. He walks a lot of guys. And so I think, I don't necessarily know if that's going to change or not. So very good pitcher, you know, and then there's also the the volume question, right? I mean, he has what, 157 innings over the, over the last two seasons. Injuries have been a major factor throughout his career. And so, you know, do I want to, do I want to mess with that in this spot? Maybe, maybe at the current price, but I think, you know, where he's going to go, I expect him to start going in the third round, ra- third round pretty regularly. I have, I got him in one draft where he went like, I think 54, 56, and I felt pretty good. He was my SP three at that point. Um, so I felt pretty good about that one. Um, uh, Burns, uh, Burns is a, a major volume question for me. Um, you know, and again, like, I don't want to sound like a broken record in terms of like highlighting the regression candidates, because that's why these guys are high up there. But I think recency bias is important to um, be aware of and just be cognizant of like for Burns, you know, a guy who got hit around pretty hard throughout his career, obviously a pitch mix change for him, but like that doesn't result in the 0.3 home runs per nine. Right. Um, his walk rate is a little bit concerning, well over 10%. And then there's the question of volume. I know, um, I know our, I don't, I don't think Smod is listening uh, or maybe he's listening, but he's, I don't think he's in the chat right now, but um, I know Smod is a huge fan of his. I think the skills are there, everything there for him being very good. He's also in the NL central. I just worry about that regression coming. And I do worry, is he going to be able to go more than say 140 innings? Um, something like that um, in, in a two, in a, in a regular uh, full season. And that's enough questions like the walk rate regression, I'm just, I just have too many concerns still. Uh, Police act is really interesting. Um, you know, a Dave McDonald favorite. Um, I think there's a love, lot to love about Zach Pleissack's profile. What I find interesting is he actually lost about a mile per hour on his fastball, um, but was still more effective, um, you know, because of pitch mix changes, I think. And, um, and so, you know, I think he's really good. I mean, he gets a lot of strikes. The swing, the swing strike rate was really nice, over 14%. Walk rate is really nice. Uh, he, he was one of the lower guys in terms of the percent of pitches that were balls, which is, the I think, the go-to metric for me for thinking about um, where a guy's walk rate should be. And for those of you who have the forecaster, that actually has those in the player boxes, and they did a really good analysis in last year's forecaster, in the 2019 forecaster that looked at kind of the correlation between percent of balls uh, and other control metrics that we oftentimes look at. So I would highly recommend that people look at percent of pitches that is balls. And if you have any questions about how to do that, just hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to share what the search is um, to figure that out on, on, on Savant. Um, but I mean, the thing for Plesak again, like so many of these guys were up there, right? You know, 224 Babbitt, 92% strand rate. You know, it's just like, it's just one of those things where, I think what's so hard about this short season and what's just so hard about career seasons in general is you look at them and you look at the skills and you're like, Oh, but the skills support this. The skills look okay still. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean that regression doesn't still come. Right. 
Um, and so that's my major concern with Plesak and where he's getting pushed up in drafts. I just haven't felt comfortable snagging him at that point in time. Uh, Max Fried is, a, is a, um, not to be confused with Max Freeze, is a total fade for me. Um, I think that Freed, he just doesn't offer you the K upside that you need. He's very reliant on managing contact, which is fine because I think he's he's shown throughout his career that he can be pretty good at that. But elevated walk rate, lower strikeout rate, doesn't really have the same type of dominant repertoire as the other guys who are going in and around him. Um, so he's a total fade for me. I mean, just draft like Ryan Yarborough at, you know, whatever, pick two forty, you know, who's not going to be quite as good, but I think will actually be fairly decently similar or Kyle Hendricks, like a bunch of picks, picks later. Um, maybe you're going to get a little bit more case with Max Fried, but I just don't think he's, I don't think he's elite starting pitching material. So I would not draft him uh, anywhere close to where he's going, going right now. All right. Um, you mentioned Maeda. The thing with Maeda for me, kind of you're mentioning is I want to know exactly what the workload the twins are going to give him because it was like almost six innings and out, sometimes seven. They didn't let him go too deep into games. Pitch count would be like 90 to 100. They wouldn't push him. Six innings every start's great, but if he's having any issues, then, well, there goes that. So that, that that's my question. He was like super efficient last year, not walking guys. Everything was like the perfect storm for Kenta Maeda last year, and I'm wondering how 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 much how much is the replication of that possible? And I guess it's pretty not not very much. But uh, like you look at uh, Steamer, for instance, they have him um, projected to go with a four four three ERA instead of a two seven zero. So with fewer Ks and more walks, which it makes sense if he's walking more guys, probably in more trouble. Hence the uh, the blow up potential there with um, Kent Maeda. So that's definitely something. I'd be concerned about with him. Blake Snell, I just I won't draft Blake Snell pretty much anywhere. That's one of my biggest uh, issues with um, Blake Snell is between not knowing exactly what the Padres are going to do with him. You, I think you tweeted out and the Jeff Zimmerman tweeted some stuff out about third time through the order with Snell and different things like that. Um, th- those are interesting stats. Um, and to me, he's, he does have a lot of injury concerns for a young pitcher. There's been a lot of issues with Blake Snell. So – it may, like I know I tweeted it, Alex Fast tweeted it, and some other guys that tweeted it. Three years of a very affordable young arm that was a Cy Young Award winner. I know the Rays like to trade things, but three years of control to get back four prospects without any of the top, top prospects coming makes you wonder, do the Rays know something we don't know? Uh, I, I could be pure speculation, pure just being crazy, trying to justify my thoughts. But it just seems odd to be moving him this early. Usually you see deals like two years left, one year left, stuff like that. Three years to not get a haul that you'd expect for a former Cy Young, like a really recent former Cy Young winner, seemed a bit odd to me. So that could just be me kind of trying to justify things, but not what I was expecting there. So no Blake Snell for me. Corbin Burns, you mentioned Smata loves him. I love, I love Corbin Burns. I just don't think I love him enough to draft him where he's getting drafted at. That that's my my problem with Corbin Burns is the um, the the draft price for a guy that's probably not going to give you a ton of innings that you'd need at this point in the draft. That that's the issue. So like we mentioned with Kershaw, you need a plan for Kershaw. You better have one a heck of a plan for um, drafting Burns because there's a good chance he gets really limited to innings, maybe even less than Kershaw. 
and uh, that's always something to be concerned about. Um, Plesak, now that's the guy that um, has my my attention. Let's put it that way. Um, when I look at a guy like Plesak, you mentioned the pitch mix, pitch mix change. Just so while you were talking, I kind of pulled up Savant, looked at the graphs there. I pulled up the leaderboard now, and that's why I was kind of stuttering because I was trying to get this page loaded up because I wanted to see the difference in his pitch mix this year and how much was legit and how much wasn't. Because if you look at Savant, his four-seam fastball usage, when it was when he was using it, he was getting hit a ton. And then his changeup and his slider have been outstanding. Like The changeups um, batting average against was uh, 125, where the slider was .069. Like the Woba, .085. The slider was filthy. And it's really weird. Like I'd love to really take some extra time to look into it now that you mentioned it. Um, you look at his game logs and his pitch mix changes. The fastball was usually up there, but sometimes it dropped. The sliders and changeups, like there was really no consistency. Like we talked about how Darvish changed things and certain guys changed it. And then just kind of, this is now the main pitch, so on and so forth. Plesak was fluctuating a lot. Like it was one of those weird deals. Like maybe he's in the bullpen and, hey, this pitch working today, this pitch isn't. I don't know. But in the grand scheme of things, all things, no matter what reasoning behind it was, the forcing fastball hit a ton. Like if it was in the zone, it was in trouble. Um, he was very good at uh, living on the outsides in the shadow area. That's what was, was helping Plesak a ton. So, and then it opened up the slider and the changeup, something we've seen with other pitchers, a la Bieber and company in Cleveland. So it, it'd be really interesting to get a deeper dive on him. Like his slider deserved ERA, according to the pitch leaderboard, minus 2.14. That's how good it was. That's impossible. That's what I thought, but that's literally his deserved ERA for his fastball is 617. Slider minus 2.14, changeup 0.13. So, I'm not a rocket scientist, but just looking at that, like he is, it's very similar on the rest of the numbers on how good they were. I might use a slider and change it up a little more. Just yeah. throwing it out there. If he does that this year, Dave McDonald's going to win again. Just going to throw it out there. <laughs> just look at how different these pitches are. That makes me actually – I wasn't willing to pay the draft price for Plesak because in my head I'm thinking he's getting rushed up there because of all the talk and all this stuff. But the more I look at these numbers, if he's going to give you, say, 160 to 170 plus innings, give or take, which Cleveland likes to pitch their guys. If they're pitching well, they're going to throw them innings. That's just how it's going to go. And he starts using that slider and change it more. Uh, it's going to be a, a very good year for Zach Blesak. So that's very intriguing. And then Max Freed, I'm a, I love Max Freed. Similar to Gallon, much better value last season. Freed was very fortunate on the home run to fly ball ratio. Regression is coming in that regard. Still going to be a very good pitcher. Probably not at this point in the draft. There's some guys in the next grouping that I like a lot compared to Max Fried and company. So in this set, I got Burns, Plesak as my top two. Probably not drafting the other three. That's where I stand at this point in time. But uh, sorry for the Zach Plesak. It's just very interesting. The more you dug into him, it was the pitch mix change was quite uh, quite uh, intriguing there. All right, 21 through 25. You got Lance Lynn at pick 61. Sonny Gray at 64. Carrasco at 65. Danellison Lamette at 68, and Steven Strasburg at 73. How do you go about this group of five? What a group. <laughs> that's, that's one way to say it. That's for darn sure. I like the yeah. first three. The last three. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fascinating group. I mean, Lynn, I like Lynn a lot because I think you know what you're kind of kind of going to get. It's interesting because he started out the season um, – so incredibly well, right? And we all remember, I mean, I remember, I remember, lost me quite a, a decent amount of money, I think, in the overall in the main, that blow up against the Astros um, was just, 
is what seared into everybody's memory, right? Who had him last year, but he actually ended up being kind of uh, pretty unlucky. Um, so if you look at, you know, 332 ERA, 419 FIP, probably as a result of the 1.39 home runs per nine, which is way above anything that he's really posted, you know, outside of maybe one, one season, um, which was his first one back from Tommy John surgery. So, I mean, the K minus walk rate was solid. You know, all of the numbers were fairly solid. I think, um, you know, I, you know, there's some regression maybe in the Babbitt that compensates, but with the White Sox, I think he's in a great environment. Obviously the field isn't the best in the world, but I think that with the way that he pitches, I'm not super concerned about that. Um, so I think you're going to get a lot of strikeouts. I think the ratios are a little suspect, but I think they still should be pretty solid. So I like him, especially if you, you know, if you, if you maybe, maybe if you do have Kershaw, you know, as one of your starting pitchers earlier on, or you're not as confident in maybe the strikeouts. Um, I think that he's a really nice, uh, a really nice little addition, obviously more expensive than before, but I actually, I've actually drafted him at pick 58 last year. I think in a, in a main event. So, um, yeah. Uh, Sonny Gray worries me a lot. Um, you know, he was really good at the beginning of the season and then it all kind of fell off. If you look at across the board, fastball velocity dropped um, considerably. The walk rate is just, is it scares me a little bit. So I'm kind of off of Sonny. Um, you know, I may be to my detriment because he's, he's been, a, you know, from a strikeout perspective, from a CSW perspective, like the guy is just, um, he's, he's, he looks really good, but I worry about that walk rate um, a lot. And I worry about that diminishing fastball velocity. So uh, it's also because Carlos Carrasco's here. I just think that he's probably, I mean, one of the better guys in terms of, you know, just where he's going, I think, and where he can, can end up. I mean, last year he was very good. Um, he got a lot better as the season progressed, which, you know, again, small sample sizes. So you're not sure whether that's like the competition that he's going up against or what, or whatnot. But what was really, uh, I liked a lot was the improvement in the walk rate over the course of the season, because the walk rate looks a little bit higher than it normally is. But when you break it down by kind of how the season progressed, it got uh, progressively better because he always has a really high O swing chase rate. So chasing on pitches outside the zone. And, and he needs that in order to be effective. And you start to see that come back towards the end of the season. I think he's really good. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think he's really good. And I, I hope to have a lot of uh, Carlos Carrasco, although I think his price is also going to push up the closer we get to drafts. And with a lot of these guys, I mean, the, the, my response with Lamette and, and Strasburg is really going to be like, I believe they're very good pitchers, but I can't really, for me, the judgment is not, how good of pitchers they are. I think they're both very good pitchers. I think they've, they've kind of shown that, um, you know, Lamette obviously has a smaller um, track record, but ever since he came back from Tommy John, he's been nasty, but I can't tell you to draft him now because I'm not drafting him. I mean, he, he fell all the way to like pick one ten in one of my drafts and I didn't pick him because I already had three starting pitchers. And because, you know, like it's all a question of whether he's going to be healthy or not. So I want to see a spring training. So he's the type of guy where, Right now, at this point in time, I'm off of him. But if I see that he looks healthy in spring training, then, you know, then I wouldn't mind, mind um, you know, dipping my toe in the water a little bit um, on, on him. So um, we'll see. Uh, for Lamette, I mean, the question is always, like, can he be effective with two pitchers? But I can't remember who I, who I saw posted about how effective his slider is against lefties. 
his slider is actually more effective. It was, it was an Eno, it was an Eno article, Eno Saris article. And he was just talking about how his slider is actually more effective to lefty. So does he really need that third pitch as, as much as other guys do? Because generally speaking, right, it's like you were talking before about the fluctuation between Zach Plesak's pitches. Well, a lot of times what can dictate that is, is who's up, right? Righty, you throw your change up against the lefty and you throw that slider against the righty. So depending on what heavier batting lineup you're, you're going up against, you know, that's going to dictate maybe what your pitch mix is a little bit more. But for a guy like Lamette, maybe he doesn't necessarily need that. And he's also got the velocity on that fastball, which is just incredible. And he looked dominant. I mean, he was absolutely dominant all year long. So I feel okay about that. Same with Strasburg. Whenever he's healthy, he's good. Last year he wasn't healthy, but it wasn't like a, it was carpal tunnel. I mean, I don't know how that impacts pitchers as much, but it's not like a soft tissue issue, which I would worry about a lot more, like a forearm issue or you know a shoulder or something like that. And every time he's ever pitched in the big leagues, he's been incredibly effective. So again, I'm not I'm not really worried about those two 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 in terms of their talent level. It's all an, an injury game. And at this point in the season, we can't really play that injury game because we really just don't have we have incomplete information. So for right now in drafts, I'm passing on them, but I, I could easily add them to my player pool um, if if they're healthy in spring and there's still a discount. Yeah, it's it's a fun group here. Lance Lynn, I'm hundred percent with you on. I, I love Move to the White Sox for him. He's not going to, have to be the ace there, but still can be an inning eater, which is what they're going to need after Giolito and Keuchel. And you got the young arms and Kopech and company. It's a, a better place to pitch with Detroit and improved Kansas City, but still Kansas City, Cleveland not being so good. So um, in Minnesota, they might be taking a step back as well. So I love Lance Lynn there. I think he's a great pick as an SP two, potentially SP three, depending on how you draft, which is is really really strong. Uh, Sonny Gray, similar sentiments. Um, I know they're disbanding the the troops in uh, Cincinnati, which really stinks. But if Gray's still there, he still has his uh, his pitching coach and all the stuff that helps him be Sonny Gray. Uh, the development he's, he's gone through the last couple of years, there's not many guys. You're going to see a lot of the bloom boards, like you mentioned, that favor things Sonny Gray's doing. It happened last year. A lot of Sonny Gray there. Um, Alex Fast will tweet out a lot of stuff. Sonny Gray shows up on a lot of boards involving things that we need, the swinging strike rates, the K-to-walk rates, the improvements here, there, whatever. Sonny Gray shows up on these lists, and he's, he's just ridiculously talented. At this point in the draft, where you're getting him as an SB2 or SB3 is a, a very, very lucky situation here. So I, I like Sonny Gray a lot, and I love Carlos Carrasco, as you mentioned. Once he started getting healthier last year, started looking like the Carrasco of old. He's getting old, period, which is you know always confusing every time I see his age. I'm like, he's really that old already? Well, yeah, he's in his mid-30s. Like, he's he's getting up there for pitching years, but he's still very, very good. He's still the uh, the elder statesman of that staff. They're going to let him pitch. Uh, they were they were letting him pitch once healthy, so don't think that's a concern. They really have no reason to limit his innings. Like, you could see them being okay, please sack Bieber. Like, I'm not saying they're going to, or Savali, or one of his other young arms in uh, McKenzie or something. Hey, we're going to limit you guys a little bit because we need to save you guys, which – for trade bait, probably because that's what they're doing now. But um, Carrasco's going to pitch. He's going to pitch every fifth day he can. He's going to. They're going to give him 100 to 120 pitches every time. And at this point in the draft, that's awesome, awesome to get. So I love Carrasco. I'm with you 100. percent He's my favorite in this group. And then it goes uh, Gray and Lynn for me actually. But Gray and Lynn are one A's, one B type. They're really, really close. Lamet Strasburg. I'll be real quick here. I've said it on many shows. Lamette, I will not touch the two pitches. I, I don't do that with these guys very often. Um, I agree the slider is very good. I'm not going to disagree with that. But anytime he's been off, it's disastrous. We've seen that because he relies on the fastball. It's very, very hard. 
and more importantly, the injury concerns with him are just not going to work for me. Like, there's legit conversations. Does he even start the season with the Padres? Like, this, is this a reason they're making all these trades? Not just to, to make them one of the best rotations in baseball, but to give them depth because they already lost Clevenger. Are they losing Lamette for some time as well? Serious concerns. Um, and then Strasburg, like you said, anytime he's pitched in the big, it's been amazing. But um, last year he pitched two starts for a total of five innings. Um, and he missed majority of the season due to a nerve injury in his hand. Um, that concerns me. Like nerve injury, is it going to be healthy? It should be healthy, but nerves are kind of scary because those can just kind of at any time. So I'm, I'm really, really concerned there with Strasburg. I think I'll just pass at that point and go with some guys later on or figure something else out. So I love Carrasco. I love Gray. I love Lynn. I, I like them a lot. So I'll be trying to get one of those guys as an SP2, SP3, passing on the rest. All right, as we dig in to 26 through 30 to wrap up this round of starting pitcher, got Hungjin Ryu at pick 78, Framber Valdez up to 82, Jose Barrios at 85, Kyle Hendricks at 86, and Zach Wheeler at 87. Good group here, actually. I like this group quite a bit. What do you like in here? Um, I like Framber Valdez. That's kind of who I like in this group. Probably the only one that I'll, I'll, I'll have any shares of. Hinjin Ryu's has been really good for the last really few good. years. I just cannot, I cannot do it. I don't know why. I mean, and obviously Kyle Hendricks has moved up. You know, we used to be able to rely on him and have pick 150 plus, but for Ryu, I just can't do it. I mean, I think as I was diving in, so I faced like this dilemma of whether to get him or, or Framber, you know, and Ryu actually had like a pretty good strikeout, you know, per innings pitch, you know, his strikeout rate was higher than usual. The walk rate also went out considerably, but then when I like dove into it, um, I think I was looking at his, um, oops, I just moved off the page. You know, his, his CSW was actually really like 27.3%. Like that's, that's horrendous. It's like 1.3% worse than league average. Um, for Ryu. So I was kind of like, ah, why is that strikeout rate so high? That's not good. And that's actually the worst that it's been in a number of years for him. And so um, that was a little bit of an issue. The increase in the walk rate was a little bit of an issue. And I guess it's just like buying, buying kind of this ratios profile, although it's beautiful ratios profile. It's, so it's, it's probably just <laughs> a deficiency in me, but like, I just couldn't do it. I wanted um, to get Framber. Um, so again, Ryu, uh, he's a really good pitcher. He's been a really good pitcher. He's probably accurately priced and I'm just going to miss out on him because I'm stubborn. Um, that's not very good analysis. So don't listen to it. You know, uh, Framber, Framber, I really like a lot because I think he has a combination of slightly better than league average strikeout stuff. He's got the great curveball that he can go to, but he's got three pitches that generate huge ground ball rates. He's above 60%. Uh, ground ball rate. And when you pair a 60% plus ground ball rate with a better than league average strikeout rate and probably about a league average walk rate, I just think that there's a really nice floor there for him. Uh, he plays in a really great ballpark when in Houston for a team that should continue to be really good. Um, I think he's going to get the volume. Um, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be really good. Um, and uh, so I like him a lot. I have him a lot. He's probably my most owned pitcher right now. I think I have him in three or four 
out of six drafts that I've, I've had, because I think as an SP three, I just love him as an SP three. Like you get your two aces that have a really nice ceiling. Um, and then I think just for where he's going, just a really nice combination of ceiling and floor. And I could just be making this up, but um, I really like that combination for him. That curveball is devastating. And it's the type of pitch that you can throw so often because even when it gets hit, just nothing happens with it. You know, it's just, I love it for that reason. So I'm a big Framber Valdez fan. Um, Barrios, like I think there's actually some intriguing things about Barrios, the increase in, in velocity. He obviously struggled early on, righted the ship a little bit after that. I just think he's mediocre. There's nothing that, that tells me that Barrios can develop the repertoire that one needs to be a dominant pitcher. And so he's fine, but I don't want a fine guy here. Like I think you can get those types of guys at different points in the draft. So maybe like he gets a little bit more volume just because he's kind of the ace of that staff or, I mean, before my ADA, but he's going to get you that consistent, you know, volume. But uh, I just, I just, just don't like Barrios' profile. I just don't think he's, he's ever going to develop the repertoire that he needs to be a really elite pitcher in the league. So I'm kind of shying away from him. Hendricks, love Kyle Hendricks. Don't love the price. I mean, I just don't want to pay for that profile this high up in the draft. I mean, ratio stabilizers are, are great, especially with what the Cubs are doing, though. Are the wins going to be there like they maybe usually are? Um, yeah, the ratios are going to be great. But again, I think there's similar guys like Orion Yarborough, who's going later. I mentioned him again because I really like Yarborough a lot, um, who has a fairly similar profile and I think can get you pretty similar results. Zach Wheeler and Barrios are actually a pretty good comp to each other, I think. I mean, I just think that they're both fine, but I don't think they're ever going to be really, really good. I just don't think they have the strikeout upside um, that I necessarily want. But if I have a pretty stable, if I have those those two really good guys at the top, maybe, you know, those two two aces, and that's all you're looking for is the stable profile. I mean, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong now that I think about it. Like maybe those are the types of guys that I want to be filling in, you know, um, where maybe the ceiling isn't there, but the floor also seems pretty decent. I think they're, they're pretty comparable guys. Maybe I like Wheeler a little bit more. The ERA, you know, he's been able to keep that ERA a little bit um, lower, I think. But um, again, I'm not looking at their player profiles. So that's just a, that's just a feeling that I have. Um, so yeah, so that's generally like, I don't love this group of guys. I think I like Framber a lot. And I think, I think the, this is a really tricky area of the draft. Um, these rounds, kind of mid, middle of round five to maybe like the early 100s in drafts is a, it's a, it's a murky place. It's a, it's like a, it's just, I don't love being there. There's a few guys that I love and if they're not available, I get really uncomfortable with, you know, the different uh, players that I find myself thinking about picking in that particular range. Yeah. Yeah. Teach their own because I kind of like this range. Um, oh, Bubba, we should draft together. Let's do it. Well, we will be soon in the uh, the podcast yeah. league. Um, Hungjin Ryu is a guy I'm torn on every year. He produces every year, so I start kind of dabbling and grabbing pieces here and there, but he's not a main target. It kind of depends where he falls in the draft and how my team build is going because the ratios are just consistently legit. He feels like the um, – you know, outside of last year's debacle, like a hobby bias type. Like you can't prove how he's doing it. Like the swinging rates, crazy. The chase rates, crazy. He just keeps doing it. Well, you look at Ryu, like you said, the strikeouts are kind of weird. The, the swinging strike, all that kind of stuff. The CSW stands out like, how's he doing this? But he's doing it time and time again. 
And so it's very interesting there. Not a, not a go-to, a have-to-pick guy, but I, I'm like dabble at spots with him. It makes it kind of interesting. Now, the guys I do love, I am in love with Fran Valdez. You, 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 you're, you're right there. Um, I know a lot of guys are starting to get on the Framber train the more they dig into him this offseason. I was team Framber. For anybody listening to any of my DFS shows last year, we pretty much pitched Framber Valdez every time out, and it was glorious because always underpriced, always underowned. It was just a beautiful scenario. I don't think it's going to be the same way this year. I have a hunch because people are finding out who he is and how good he is, but I love Framber Valdez. I think that's a, a great one to, to jump on at this point in time. I agree with everything you had to say, so I won't go any farther there. But Jose Barrios is a guy, I'm pretty sure if you listen to any preview I've done with Barrios in the past, it's going to sound very similar to this with a twist, is he's as consistent as they come. And this is kind of why you said it towards the end there that maybe you want to look at these guys. This is why I'm starting to appreciate these guys. If you get those kind of aces early, and we keep going through the pitcher-player pool like after these guys, and it gets murkier and murkier with the kind of hit here and there, a guy like Barrios to me stands out as a guy, he's going to take the ball every fifth day, he's going to pitch you five, usually six plus innings every time out. His strikeout rate is 23% to 26% year in and year out. If you just look at his player praise, the home run per nine, the the whips, the babips, the every stat there, they're all within a certain percentage point of each other. Like they just it's almost the same thing over and over again. Kind of what we used to love about Kyle Hendricks when he was cheaper. He's not now. Barrios is that guy. Now he's I think the bugaboo is when he came up, everybody said, okay, he's gonna be this ace phenom. Well, like you said, he's not going to be that guy. He's not going to find that pitch. We just move on from that. What he can be is a very, very good SP3 in your in your fantasy staff. And I think that's where Barrios, that stability, kind of what I mentioned with some other guys like Woodruff and company, just plug him in every week. And he's pitching in the central. So that's a big plus as well. So I'm buying in more and more on Barrios. I literally just took him in a best ball draft about three hours ago as my uh, SP3. So uh, I, I got no problem with Barrios. This year, um, Hendricks is great, but I'd rather have Barrios. I'd rather have Zach Wheeler. Um, the thing with Wheeler, the, that the reason I have Bueller, Barrios over Wheeler is um, the divisions. That, that's just the tiebreaker for me. NL East versus uh, AL Central is a big one. But I've always been a, a Wheeler fan. He has better ratios than um, Barrios, but Barrios has the better strikeout rates. Um, everything else, rather similar. For the most part, uh, somehow Wheeler keeps the ball in the ballpark more, which is kind of surprising. But uh, very, very like you, it was a great comparison you made. They're very, very similar with what they'll get you by the end of the fantasy season. I like Barrios for the higher strikeouts and the division more than Wheeler. Both phenomenal for me. I actually, now that you mention, or now that I think about it, that draft I'm talking about, I literally took Barrios and Wheeler back to back, so I have them as my mm. three and my four. And it, in, in a best ball points league, it's even better because they're going to take the ball every fifth day. And they're not going to crush you, and that's something that I think is very important. And like a best ball format, maybe different than an overall, where you might need that higher ceiling that they're not going to offer, where a Frammer can offer that. Uh, and Frammer was off the board as well, by the way. But um, Barrios and Wheeler, steady Eddies. I'm a huge fan of them, and I, I think that's that they might get overlooked by some. But I think as we go on next week and talk about the next thirty or so guys, it's going to be harder and harder to find the steady consistency that those two guys offer you. That if you get your ace or two. You take one of these two guys. Now you you have three just like guys you trust without a problem. Pretty much, take more chances now in this kind of murkier session we're going to go get to, and that's where I, I like the Barrios and the Wheeler a lot more. All right, listener questions. We have lots and lots of them, which is awesome as always. So let's get cracking on. Burn the midnight oil here. 
Yeah, no, oh, yeah. you guys are too good with us here. Um, Ross at the Shy Bears says he has a 30-team dynasty auction starting on Friday. Who are you? And it's a startup, brand new dynasty auction. Who are you targeting as the SP one you pay up for in that format? So we know Cole, DeGrom, Bieber in a non-dynasty. Do you go after Bieber because of age? Do you stick with Cole? Do you have another guy? Who who are you going after? Probably go Cole, Bieber. Yeah, yeah. DeGrom definitely takes the hit. Like kind of stuff we thought. It definitely takes the hit in the dynasty part. I mean, because Cole is he's what like thirty one or thirty or something early, like that. He's early thirties, yeah. We should look this up. He is thirty. Yeah, he just turned thirty, so he's still young. I mean, you think like, oh well, but I mean, he's got till, and we see guys pitching thirty four, thirty five, thirty six. So you still got four to six years. You know what I might do is have him this year and. and um, you know, ride that, 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 uh, cool train, um, you know, this year, see how it ends up and then maybe try to make a move after that. Cause I think he's gonna be really good this year, but Bieber also, I mean, I, mean, I think he's great. You don't really have as many concerns about injury. He's younger, um, really good. You know, Cleveland's not as good of a team, I think for the next few years, but, um, I, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those. Or just split the or, money on the, or split the money on those two and go get Framber and please yeah, yeah. I mean, or Giolito. Yeah, Giolito. He'd be right up there with those first two for sure. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, Mark Gannon at MT Gannon one asks, I would love to hear a little bit about your process of going from Steamer or Baseball HQ, etc. Projections to how you rank starting pitchers. Lots of data out there, and curious about metrics you focus on and how you parse through it all. You mentioned some of it earlier. Do you want to go over that again? Sure. Yeah. Um, and shout out to Mark. Mark's a great guy. I've met him at first pitch Arizona. Um, so thank you, Mark, for the question. Um, Jennifer me, actually, I don't really pay attention to uh, projections for pitchers. Um, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with them. I'm aware of them, but I don't find that they're super useful and I could be absolutely wrong on that, but there's just such variance year to year for most pitching performance that I just don't really care that much about them. I have a very skill centered approach to analyzing pitchers. So what I want to know is swing strike rates in zone. So my strikeout metrics that I look at swing strike rate, um, in zone contact rate, uh, CSW, um, they all capture kind of unique things like in zone contact is great. Cause it tells you whether a guy can dominate in the zone swinging strike rate is also about domination, right? Swings and misses over pitches. And then CSW, there's some guys that maybe don't have the swinging strike rate, but they get a lot more called strikes um, than the average pitcher, like an Aaron Nola. And you need to be able to understand that and see that and, and be able to look at it. Then I look at the control metrics, you know, so things like, you know, O swing is really important. So chasing on pitches outside the zone, not only for walks, but also inducing weak contact, uh, you know, I look at first pitch strike and zone percentage. I kind of look at first pitch strike, zone percentage, and O swing as a combination just to see kind of where they are compared to league average, looking for those guys that, that are demonstrating elite skills there. I also look at percent of pitches that are balls. And then K minus walk rate is the one that you can kind of go to. And the thing that you'll find, I mean, go to a leaderboard and, and just click on those and look at the pitches that show up, right? Those are the pitchers that we know are really, really good. And so part of it is just historically, where have these pitchers been? What have they done? You know, what have the results been? And then looking at the skills and, and you know, uh, do they look like they're trending up? Do they look like they're trending down? You know, what what's really going on there? It's really focused on skills. I don't think about 
I know I've mentioned it a couple times. I don't think about ERA. I don't really even think about whip. I think about if a guy is striking out a lot of guys and he's not walking a lot of guys, and that's really good, right? And there's only a certain number of pitchers that can do that effectively in the league. And so then you get into the middle and you're starting to look for those guys that maybe have a little bit of a higher ceiling. Maybe those guys who had a swinging strike rate that was higher or who underperformed or overperformed, you know, where they are and making adjustments to that accordingly. And I never really, I don't really rank pitchers either. It's not like I have like a a list of pitchers, like this is the definitive order that I'm taking. I generally have guys that I've identified that are kind of on my list of pitchers that I really like. And I'm aware of when they go in drafts and then based on where they're going in drafts, I know where there's kind of pockets of pitchers that I want to look to. And maybe I want to get, you know, two of the aces, right? And then maybe I want to get one SP3 that's on the higher end of the SP3 spectrum. And then maybe I have my SP4s and my SP5s is where I'm maybe looking for a little bit more ceiling and maybe, you know, I'm, 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 yeah. So I think it's all about, you know, individual pitchers looking at those strikeout and control metrics. I look a little bit at things that are predicted year to year, like barrel rates for quality of contact or outliers in home run, home run per fly ball rate, things like that, just to see, you know, from a contact quality perspective, but I don't really look at hard hit rates or, you know, exit velocities against much at all, unless there's kind of at the extremes. Um, so that's a little bit of a, how I, how I, how I, how I do it. I really don't look at projections that much. It's more like historical data of how they've done and then skills and where they compare to league average and, and things like that. And what pitch don't, mix. Don't forget what, pitch mix. You always got to look at pitch mix. What don't you look at? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't look at ERA. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, yeah, you, you've hit on pretty much all of it. Um, I, I just kind of keep digging in on guys that make changes each year and what changes are legit, which ones aren't. Um, we talk about a lot of the stuff on here. I read a bunch of stuff. CSW is tremendous. Uh, K to walk is obviously one that's very, very popular. But to me, like the pitch mix change um, is very important to me because that's, as we see more and more, how these guys are utilizing with their pitches is way more important than how good, you know, how hard a guy throws, stuff like that. So um, th- those kind of things are big to me. And I think the more you just get kind of go down rabbit holes like I was doing earlier, like Zach, please like this on this show. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Like these things are impressive watching this change from here to here. So um, making those kind of adjustments are very good. And like you said, just look at leaderboards. Like those will tell you a ton right out the gate. And then you can kind of go back and see if it's been a year to year thing or a new thing or, or what it's been from there. Um, Guillermo Salvaje. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, okay. These are quick, quick ones here. Christian Javier or Lance McCullers. Are they able to repeat? Uh, I don't think, I don't think Christian Javier will, I don't think it'll be that good. I think it was unsustainable. Um, and then, um, McCullers, I don't know. Did he do something good last year? He was pretty decent, especially towards the end of the year. He was yeah. pretty good. I never remember really in on McCullers all that much. I think we talked about him in a previous show about there's reason to possibly be in on him, but I just, I'm not, but I would go McCullers over Javier for sure. Yeah. I'm a big McCullers fan. So I'll, I'll jump back in on that one. Uh, Frankie Montas comeback. Um, maybe. His price um, is right. His price is right and worth the chance. I'll say that. His, his price is right. Yeah. And the, and the splitter is still really effective pitch, I think from just a skills perspective. So uh, why not? Value on David price or Luis Severino. Uh, for those of you who haven't been listening to the show that often, I am, 
way down on Luis Severino. I have been for a while. Um, so I'm not really holding out a bunch of hope for him. Uh, and then David Price, I mean, is he going to play this year? Yep. That's a major yep. question. But I think if he plays, then and I think he seems like solid value where he's going right now. Completely agree. Giulio going to be top five? I say yes. You? I say yes, right on the dot. Yep. He's going to be in the number five. Corbin Burns squeak into the top 30. He's getting drafted in the top 30. Do you think he finishes in the top 30? Um, I'd say yes. I'll say yes, too. I'm an optimist at heart. There you go. At, uh, Dave Petroziello, our buddy, he asks, uh, our boy Musgrove currently has an ADP of 144. He'll be on next week's show. Don't know what it will be for the big drafts in March, but that ADP makes it harder for me to target him. We're tantalized by his upside, but he repeatedly gets hurt in our losses. I'll try to get at least one share. Basically, are you in or out on Musgrove? And there's rumors he might be traded. Joey. I'm not going to do Bob Dylan's Joey song and sing it here for all of you. Um, I, I have zero. I have not. I do have not drafted Joe Musgrove. I just can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. Uh, I can't do that price. He was fun when he was a value. That was for sure. But uh, not so much anymore. Uh, Gecko Industries. He's uh, gracing us with his presence, Mr. Gecko Industries. Will Chris Paddock end up a top 20 SP in 2021? Why or why not? I say no, and I went down a rabbit hole on him today and I tweeted some things out on it, and he still only has two pitches because his curveball, it's all or nothing, and when it's nothing, it's really, really bad. Really, really bad. So I'm saying no. What about you? Yeah, I don't think so at all either. Um, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of Paddock um, last year, although I did draft him in one of my main events. Um, shout out to my co-manager, Andrew Matney, on that one. Um, just kidding. We, we have a spectacular record together, Andrew. Um, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think so. I mean, you know, so we all thought he was super good and we all said the command was there and that was the reason why he was so effective in his rookie year, but 237 Babbitt, you know, he was already having contact issues with the 147 home runs per nine. You know, there was some change in his, in his spin rate on his fastball, which made it less effective. Um, but again, like even if he, I mean, if he repeats 2019, then maybe he's a t- top 20 pitcher. He's probably a top 20 pitcher, but there's nothing spectacular there, right? Like the strikeouts weren't all that great. He does keep the walk rate low, which is really, really nice. And maybe he does something, you know, um, but I just don't think he has the repertoire. Bubba, you mentioned the lack of a third pitch that still continues to be an issue for him. And so I just don't think you can be as effective for that long. I mean, let me actually look at something really quickly, um, like his splits. So first half, second half. Um, where on earth? So, and I know um, Gecko doesn't do. Um, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't uh, look at ERA either when he's doing his stuff. Um, he wrote back to one of my tweets about that. Like even when you look at Paddock last year, I mean, first half of last year, two eight four ERA, second half four oh one ERA, right? Um, uh, so it's just you know, I just don't, I don't think he was ever as good as we thought he was, and um, and maybe he'll change, but I, I think he, I think the thing is, I can't really expect him to change who he is as a pitcher and draft him accordingly or have that as part of my expectation. Like, and he would have to fundamentally change as a pitcher, I think to be a top 20 guy. 
The, the one thing I'll say about Paddock, and I don't believe it'll be this year, but the addition of you Darvish and the pitches he can throw could help him a boatload in developing a third pitch. That's something that I think could be interesting because we talk about how like Bauer throws guys stuff and other guys do. Darvish with eight pitches, and then you even throw in Snell, who, who who's a, a talented pitcher. You start getting these kind of minds. Clevenger's guy, like you get these minds around Paddock. That might help him a lot. And I so I'm I, I'm the guy that's going to wait and see. I'm not going to take the chance on him because I really don't think he's that good yet. But I wouldn't be shocked if at some point this year or going into uh, next season, we see a potential for uh, Chris Paddock to get that third pitch going pretty strong. Um, the next listener question we have here is from Trevor at FFCU later. He says, which you Darvish do we get in San Diego? And on what planet does Bauer repeat 2020? Um, not this planet. Uh, does, does he uh, repeat? So that's the answer to that first one. I mean, the thing about Darvish is he's always been pretty good whenever he's been healthy. Um, it's just a matter of health. Like he's pitched in three, four, five, six, seven, eight seasons in Major League Baseball. He has had an ERA over four once, you know, four, nine, five, and an injury service shortened 2018. You know, he's had a whip, you know, he had a one, four, three whip that season. Outside of that, one, two, six, and a one, two, eight you know, six years ago is the highest that he's had, you know, and and I think the thing for me is that is the pitch mix is different, right? He's throwing that cutter. He's got a beautiful pitch mix. I mean, if you look at his repertoire, he's got all the skills, like he has everything that you want. And then if you look at like whatever rolling average graph you want, like 10, 15 games, the K minus walk rate is 25%, you know, it's just elite stuff. So I think he's going to be, uh, really, really good. I think he's going to be phenomenal. I don't think there's a reason why um, he wouldn't be. Um, and so I think he's tremendous. I think he's great. Yeah, we hit on this earlier. I'm, we're all in on Darvish. I have no reason not to believe he is who he's been the last. Even if you go back to like the All-Star break the year before, it's uh, it's 152 innings, 25 starts. The number is still like a 257 ERA and an, an exit like low threes. Like the dude's been – outstanding so and his, his walk rate over that stretch is like 3.4 or something like it's it's stupid so he's very very good and bauer we talked about that as well uh mike curlin our boy sleepy k he says are you in or out on denelson lament or as he calls them denelson lament i'm out i believe you're out as well yeah until yeah i'm probably out this was a tough question um for me because I, I need to dig in on this more but uh at jdub the gamer our buddy jdub he asked us zach davies New home, he got traded to Chicago in that deal. Give him a boost or reduce his value. For me, it's kind of similar. If anything, maybe pitching in the NL Central gives him a bit of a boost. Um, I, I like Zach Davies. That change to using the changeup more was huge. But, you know, he's not a guy that jumps off the page and I'm running to go draft type guy either. So I'd say it's probably even maybe a slight boost. But I, I'd want to look some more. What say you? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty similar but I agree with you. I mean, I think Zach Davies is very underrated. Uh, he made that move to throwing the changeup a lot more last year, and he was incredibly effective. And there was a little bit of luck involved, but, I mean, snap, like a guy who's going to get you like a 3-5 ERA. I mean, he has one season above a, a 4 ERA, you know, in his whole career. The whip is decent. You know, I think that Davies is um, he's a nice little late rounder. He kind of qualifies in that Yarborough range of just guys who I think are, are – basically solid, nice ratio guys, 
not going to help you out a ton in strikeouts, but um, it's a really nice profile to have on, on your rotation. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty similar, fewer wins probably. Um, I'm interested to see what happens with that rotation. I mean, they now have Hendricks, uh, Mills, and Davies. So they got three guys who throw in the high eighties. And I, and I just wonder what type of an impact that will have, you know, if hitter, if they get, if hitters get them in a row, I assume that the Cubs will try to break it up a little bit, you know, um, but um, just something to think about. Yeah. The rotation's looking pretty odd. Uh, Steve Brunn asks, who is the 2021 version of Lance Lynn? The SP going in the SP three to four range, which Lynn is still going in by the way, that uh, makes the jump that Glenn did last year. So who's a guy that, I guess we talked about towards the end of this or who we will talk about next week that you think makes that jump like Lance Lynn did. Um, maybe Framber Valdez. I mean, he seems like a guy. Um, uh, I mean, there's a few. I mean, I think we'll talk about him more next week. I really like Dylan Bundy. Um, I think he actually did really well last year and maybe should have done a little bit better um, just based on the way that he pitched. And so I still think there's upside there two nasty pitches. I think Pablo Lopez, there's a lot to like about kind of his profile and what it looks like. Um, so those are kind of two guys that stand out for me. Um, you know, we all like Joe Musgrove. Um, so maybe he could take that leap. Those or Gaussman too. Um, so I think there's a few options. I think the pitching options are really interesting there, but like, like Steve mentioned, like he doesn't really have the, um, the these guys don't really have the, the history of doing this really well. So it's still a crapshoot. Yeah. I like, I like the Framber call. And then three guys I wrote down that we talk about next week. I wrote down Dylan Bundy, Pablo Lopez, and then I'm buying more into Jesus Lazardo. The more I listen to Oakland talk about him, if they really do let him go like 160 innings, even in those innings, as good as he is, could take that Lance Lynn type jump. So mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. Um, Steven Buckets asks, I know you're the pocket aces guy, but where do you draw the line as the last guy which we, with which you'd be willing to anchor a staff? And like you mentioned earlier before you give the name, there's already a bunch of guys going in the first two rounds. And come March, it's going to get really like it'll be a bunch of guys going in the first round and a half. So it's going to make things pretty interesting. Where do you draw the line at your pocket aces? Oh, line. What line is there? What line? Happens. I mean, so the way that I see myself drafting at this point in time is it I is Castillo is kind of the line for me, maybe. Um, in terms of well, I mean the fact of the matter is I'm gonna draft a pitcher in the first round, most likely. Um, you know, occasionally I'll 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 stray from that a little bit, but generally I'm gonna get one of those guys, so I don't really have to think too much about like what that line is, but the way the draft is setting up right now, I kind of like just getting a single ace. If it's in that one of those three guys and then taking a couple hitters and then dabbling in that Lynn Carrasco Framber range and picking up two of those guys, maybe as opposed to getting the pocket aces. If I'm in the back half of the draft then I'm probably going to go pocket aces. So long as I get, you know, like my second ace is like a, Right now, the, the line is kind of Castillo, but you know, I just need to I need to do a little bit more work on some of these other guys. And again, spring training, like I know we're not supposed to put a lot of stock in spring training, but just seeing velo from guys, just seeing them there and healthy, you know, in, in a lot of 
respects is enough. And so, you know, I think that line will shift as the season progresses um, or as the off season progresses. But right now that's kind of like my line is Castillo. So if I'm going to get two aces, I want them to be um, Luis Castillo or better. Yeah. And the spring training as well as, just kind of coach speak and player speak is going to be much more important to me this year. Just to what have these guys been up to things we didn't get a whole lot of last year. So that'll be quite interesting as well. And then I'm with you as I'm not as like focused on making sure I get two in the first two to three rounds, I guess, but I'm making a point that I have like three after the first five rounds. I don't care how it happens. Cause I know I can get three that I really like in that grouping. So that's something I've been really trying to focus on right now. Um, John greasy asks expectations for Jamison Tyon this year. Uh, Tyon came back from injury last year. He uh, made, I believe it was three, uh, seven starts, pitched 37 in the third innings. So he's just kind of getting some work in. And he's going around pick 228 right now. Uh, I have not done a whole lot of digging into Tyon for this season. What's your thoughts on Tyon? He, did, he actually didn't pitch last season. This was oh, – Oh, was 19. Sorry. He was yeah, out because no, he had injury, no. right? Yeah. Yeah, I totally – I was surprised you on that. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, he had TJ, so he's coming back from TJ, which would make me not want anything to do with him. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any of him. I'm very interested to see what he. I'm very interested to see what he does, um, because you know he's been solid, not spectacular in the past. The strikeouts just aren't there. So his WHIP is decent, the ERA is decent, but the strikeouts just haven't been there. But if you follow him on Twitter at all, he's definitely like. cerebral in thinking about like pitch mix and analytics and things like that. I've seen him comment on some posts or share different things about approach. And so I'm just really interested to see kind of what, what he looks like, like, especially with the way the pirates have been changing up their pitchers pitch mixes. Like you'll notice back in 2019, even, you know, he, the pitch that he threw the most was his slider, which was definitely a departure from previous seasons when he was, prioritizing the fastball. And so it's changes like that where I would be really interested to see what happens. I mean, the challenge is he's never really had one of those dominant pitches, um, you know, and guys, he, he hasn't been able to dominate in the zone. He's one of these guys that like, he, even though his strikeout metrics look decent, he doesn't actually get there because he can't finish guys off because when he throws the ball in the zone, they make contact with it. So I'm really interested to see with his pitch mix, with his approach, what has changed. Um, you know, so I'm not buying it now, but I could see where he could be a very useful, a very useful player. I mean, I really like the Pirates rotation in general. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I'm really into a lot of the guys that they have there. Like Musgrove, Tyone, really like. I like Steve, Stephen Brawl. I like JT Brubaker. I think there, there's a lot of good going on there. Sounds like 2020 all over again. We love the Pirates rotation. It's just, are they going to do it for us? Hey. Well, uh, I guess we okay if you like them. Steve Weimer asks, which ratio stabilizer do you prefer, Ryu or Hendricks? Are you in on either or both? Pretty sure you said you weren't in on either. Which one do you prefer out of the two? Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely be more into uh, Ryu like this, this, this now. You know, I think with Hendricks, the Cubs just being in the middle of nowhere in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I think I'd prefer to be um, on uh, with uh, Hunjin Rio, Rio, but um, but I, I don't want either one of them where they're going right now. 
Yeah. Um, Richard Sands asked, he, I just saw on Twitter, you guys, I know what post he's talking about because of the steamer values, um, that Nate Iavaldi should be ranked higher. How do you yes. like him and, and James Paxton this year? Uh, he took them as picks, uh, SP6 and SP7s in a recent best ball draft with, with uh, myself, one of the ones I put on. So Eovaldi, Paxton, I'm always an Eovaldi fan just for the strikeout upside late in a draft. I'm not reaching to get him, but I see the appeal. It's just one of those guys, not like guys we talked about, you can't just plug him in and let him go. you got to pick your spots, but um, he, he shows flashes of good stuff. I'll put it that way. But he, he can be very tilting at times. Uh, Paxton... Uh, he's starting to throw. The velocity's still not where you want it to be to trust him just yet. So keep an eye on that. But to what's your thoughts on those two? Yeah, um, you know, I generally haven't been a fan of Eovaldi just because he hasn't been able to strike guys out them effectively in the past. But he definitely looked a lot better this past year. I mean, I'm actually really diving in for the first time with your question, um, and I like some of the changes that I see in what he was able to do. Wonder if there's any type of velo bump at all. He started throwing very hard, more consistently. He did it towards the end of 19, and I believe he carried it over into 20, at least part yeah, of 20. So he was at 97.8. So yeah, it's a very interesting profile for sure. Evaldi, I may have been selling him short. The cutter really looks to have taken a pretty big, um, you know, step up. You know, it was 3.4 percent swinging strike rate in, t- rate in 2019. Uh, smaller sample size, but um, you know, 13.7 percent this year um you know so yeah i think there's some interesting stuff going on there for Eovaldi for sure um which could definitely be of interest um uh later on in drafts where he's going so i would say yeah he's definitely worth one steamer loves him i know i know steamer has him as like the pitcher that will you know from a value perspective in terms of like where he's going in, in adp and what the expected earnings for him is um they have him as like huge, just like a massive um, outlier. So that one's really interesting. Paxton, I mean, it's just a, it's an injury question. And I don't know. I mean, he's worth a shot where he's going right now, I guess, because he's going so much later on. I mean, this is one of the things too, is like with the best ball, I mean, sure, those guys are great, I think, because, you know, um, there's not really as much downside. I find myself having a difficult t- time taking guys like that in like draft and holds because I'm just so concerned about injuries, you know, it's like with drafting holds where you can't replace your guys. I think I find it really difficult to take a stab on upside. Whereas in a regular draft, when I knew that I would have the waiver wire, when I knew I could fab guys, when I knew that the roster I was getting that I was drafting wasn't the roster I was going to finish with, I'd feel a lot better with going with one of those guys and looking and trying to get their ceiling. Um, so yeah, I think those are, are really good shots, especially for the format. And Bubba, you know, a lot more, more about best balls than I do. So, yeah, no, I, I like them both. Uh, Pax and I, I would, uh, I'm not taking until I know he's healthy. So, I'll pass on him because best ball, you still, you still want guys that are um, giving you a chance to use a good start here and there. If he's not starting, it's kind of a dead roster spot. But we'll see. Could turn out to be awesome. Uh, Eovaldi, I've always, I took him with like my last pick in almost every draft last year because the strikeout rates, like we saw in spring, um, the velocity continued to spike up from the end of 19, and the strikeouts were there this last year. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. That's been a continual thing in his career he did that last year below four percent walk rate uh the ratios you don't expect great ratios but like he was high threes last year you can expect maybe low fours not going to crush you at that point in the draft you're not looking for an era stabilizer at that point in the draft so i like Evaldi. i do there's a couple times those get lit up like a christmas tree and he does that like probably four or five times a year gonna tilt your, your face off but he has a lot of good starts where he's like just 
steady Eddie, some really good starts. I, I don't mind Eovaldi uh, in that regard. All right, last question of the night, most important question of the night, and then, of course, uh-huh. comes from our buddy, Comac Doom. And this is not Go for me. directed straight up at Toby. Toby, was it too much peppermint bark? Absolutely not. There's no such thing. I know that answer. There's no <laughs> such thing as too much peppermint bark. Peanut brittle, though, maybe. I'm on the fence with that one. Oh, God, it's so good. When does the sweets end for the holidays for you? Because it seems like every day or every other day I see a new new post. And I'm not not judging you in that regard because my house is always full of sweets. My wife loves chocolate. So there's sweets in this house at all times. But you're like on like the yeah, like holiday sweets. Like how, when does this end? Yeah, New Year's. New Year's. Okay. I'm gonna do no desserts in all of January. Um, Ooh, I got cold turkey with how hard you've been going. That's gonna be some sh- some shakes on the next podcast. Yeah, but <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of have been thinking about doing that just because I like to splurge during the holidays. It's fun. Yeah, There's so much good food around. Great. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not good at moderation. So like I'm either like all in or I'm you know you're you're lu- you're lucky though because you still look the way you look when I I'm no good with moderation and I look like a beached whale sometimes so it gets very very difficult there with the comes to moderation <laughs> so you you got to don't be too hard on yourself though you got to gift us you're, you're a handsome man I appreciate it from the neck up um, <laughs> but uh, that'll wrap us up SP one in the books we'll be back next week with the next thirty or so. Uh, in the NFPC ADP, any closing thoughts, Toby, as we are slowly getting through our early positional previews? Uh, not, not really. I mean, I really, I'm going to look, I really look forward to our next, um, you know, I love diving into kind of the later on the pitchers, pitchers going later, some of the guys going well beyond later. Um, because I think that's where, you know, with a lot of these guys, like it's like the burns of the world. It's like getting burns last year was great. Mm-hmm. You know, Getting Burns this year, you can afford, even if Burns ends up being really good, to miss on him. And because of where he's going, it's not, it's not, it doesn't really matter that much, right? That's not going to win or lose the league because he essentially, you know, what he did last year was just incredible. So there's going to be some regression, hopefully, or not hopefully, but like most likely. And, and so, so the thing is like, he's now, he does that. And yeah, he's he's not maybe like a twenty dollar pitcher. He's like a twenty five or a thirty dollar pitcher. That's very different than pick three hundred plus and what he did last year, right? And so I think that's the key thing as you think about all this stuff is like it's really not these pitchers that are going to win you or lose you a league necessarily. I mean, yeah, hitting on them is really important and all that jazz, but the guys that like are really good, like that really make that jump are the guys who are going to be there. We're going to be talking about next week. So I'm excited to, to kind of dive into that and look at some guys who might be able to make that jump this year. Yeah, it'll be fun because with the weirdness of pitching, we kind of hit on already where the aces kind of drop faster and it kind of gets different murky sections. I know Justin and Spore call them the globs or whatever. The early drafts we've been doing, I know you've done some, I've done some, you can really make or break things with some of these pitchers. Like it's, I know it sounds simple. It's cliche because it's obvious, but there's some groupings here that it's like, okay, well, someone's going to come out of here. Who's it going to be? And that, that'll be fun to talk about next week. Cause that does become quite interesting as we go on, but that'll wrap it up for this week. Check out Toby on Twitter at Batflip crazy. I am on Twitter at BD Intric. This is Bubba and the Batflip episode 64. Catch you guys next week. Yeah.